Hello, friends, and welcome to the Optimized Advisor Podcast, where we focus on optimizing the well-being and best practices of insurance and financial professionals today. On this show, our objective is to help you optimize your life, optimize your profession, and learn from other optimized advisors. I'm your host, Scott Heinela. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello, and welcome in. This is a great opportunity, and I appreciate this, this time that we are going to share together. Jamie Kasherik, president of Producers Choice Network. Thank you for having me, yes. Scott. This is fun. It is this fun. Is it's long fun. overdue. It's long overdue. Yeah. Absolutely. That is very true. Yep. Sincerely, thank you for traveling out to visit with us, spend a little time. We're obviously following, um, well... We're ready to have a good time and a good conversation. Yes. Okay. So first and foremost, tell me a little bit about yourself, your right. background. So we just got back from a meeting, having some lunch, having some conversation. We talked a little bit about your background. First and foremost, you are a Florida Gator through and through. Yes. Okay. And then graduated, uh, born into this professional world with Raymond James. Yes, I started as an intern in 1998, back when I was at the University of Florida. Wow. Yeah. So I, um, it'll be 21 years this November. That so I've how, how does that James. happen? Did they pursue you? Do you pursue them? Is this at a job fair, just part of the university? So I pursued, I pursued them you back did. and that came to be, I'm one of my good, very good friends. Father worked at Raymond James. I was in the business undergrad degree. I couldn't tell you that I wanted to be in financial services or still what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity to, to work in an organization that's got really the, the you know, the off Wall Street financial services firm in St. Petersburg, Florida. And so I- Just uh, up the road. Just up the road. Yeah. So I, I went home for the summer and, and had a great internship journey there for three months. It worked out well because they invited me to come back in the holiday times and future summers. And so it, and then ultimately gave me my, my first job coming out of college. Right out of college. How long were you an intern? Um, so I did two, three internships. And, and kind of rotated in a couple of different areas there. And then when I joined the firm, I really came into the compliance kind of risk management side of the business, okay. which was great because, um, you know, I, I really got to understand how a lot of different, you know, when you have to apply all the rules and regs to what mm -hmm. we do every day, you get to know a lot of how everything works and from the front end sales side of the house all the way back to the operational aspects because the compliance rules touch all, you know, from, from before the sale to after the sale. And, it um, never ends. I, <laughs> it's, it has not, it's not ended anytime soon, yeah. that's for sure. So I, uh, I spent a number of years there and then had an opportunity to, I'd say, kind of take um, a sidestep, maybe even some might perceive as a backstep, but I wanted to continue to grow and challenge myself and, um, and learn new things, which is just kind of part of who I am and what I enjoy. And so I wanted to be more on that front end sales side of one of our um, private client group businesses with bank and credit unions. Mm -hmm. So I took a, a role to build out um, some infrastructure that had some my background compliance experience to to kind of take that into a what was effectively called sales management at mm -hmm. the time, right? Your your front line, and uh, and that was great because I you know got to learn new things and and really kind of step in and I'm not uh, shy to raise my hand for hey would somebody like to kind of grow or take on different projects and that led to additional roles and growth and to leadership before I became to run the east coast of that division and then ultimately had kind of a COO head of strategy and operations overall and and when I look back when I started. Um, Gosh, we were doing 68 million in, in gross revenue, and I think when we left, we we're about 420 million over the that uh, period of time. So, how many good. years was that? Uh, it was about 15 years. Okay, so that division is called what specifically? It's our financial institutions division, or okay. FID. Okay, and yes. then what does that comprise of? Sure. So we partner with finance, uh, banks and credit unions throughout the country who don't want to be like a Bank of America and have to be their own broker-dealer. So they work with somebody like a Raymond James that 
serves in that broker dealer role. And in that division, you know, you're responsible. You're you're basically, you know, kind of the, the CEO of that territory to helping recruit new institutions into the firm, helping those institutions grow and recruit advisors, mm-hmm. helping them also kind of think about, you know, what are the strategic opportunities for that particular bank and credit union? What are their goals? How are they trying to increase their customer penetration? You know, the different things that they may mm-hmm. have as an organization. How are they trying to con- adopt a more financial planning-based process? How are they trying to grow their licensed banker program, which is what introduced my kind of introduction to Producers' Choice Network mm-hmm. was back in 2009. Um, you know, Producers' Choice had worked with Raymond James going back to 2007 as a, a support for our wholesaling and, and point of sale and annuities Gosh. and insurance. And seven. so in 2009, when, when I was in my former role, um, you know, we had this um, strategic relationship where Producers' Choice agreed to say, hey, listen, for those licensed bankers, we will help be your point of sale and education and training support to for your division. And we'll only do that for Raymond James as a partnership to you to help your banks grow that that revenue line and um, and and those sales strategies, and so that's uh, so that's when you met Producers Choice yep. as a company, and yeah. The powers that be at that time, yeah. And so you fast forward to uh, I guess it was, gosh September of 2019 when uh, Scott Stoltz called me up and asked me about an opportunity to to take over as they were. Blair O'Connor and, and Dwight Eberts, who were the right. principal and founders of Producers Choice Network back in 1999, we're looking at kind of their next next journey in life yep, and yep. A retirement, and here we are. I came over as president in February of 2020, which has uh, been an COVID interesting president. time. <laughs> I am a COVID president. There's, I'm sure, much <laughs> that we can discuss about that. Yeah. Just the, the, the dramatic shift in how we operate as businesses, um, the processes, the proto, everything, right? Um, we were talking about this and how it's such a historic time for Americans to be transient and moving in, not just where they locate themselves or they live, but within their careers. You know, here you are, uh, you know, decades in with working with a company. Uh, I've worked with this this is my second well really third company so i don't know what the norm is in terms of people's tenure with an organization yeah it's certainly reducing right and also people are moving all over the place how do we deal with those those environments yeah i think back wasn't it didn't they say that you um kind of the average was seven different careers right which i guess for me being 21 years with i kind of would effectively call one career or one kind of core core career in the financial services, it's hard to believe that I might have six more, but you know, I, 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 I'm that an optimist doesn't settle. and there's a lot that of time. Huh? I said I'm an optimist and there's a lot of time left and maybe that That's number true. is getting yeah. lower and maybe it's actually growing now with, you know, when you think about, yeah, the how we can be anywhere doing anything what, that we've learned in this pandemic, um, I think it's going to open more doors for people, maybe. We'll see. I think so. It's just a stressful thought for me to think that I would change careers seven times. That's just me. I acknowledge that. (laughs) Uh, I don't say I'm right, but I I accept the fact that that's not my cup of tea. However, I'm open to new challenges forever. I mean, you think about this world, the environment that we are in, where you started in dealing with compliance and regulations and all of that, and just using that facet and how that's changed and progressed over 10, 15 years, it is dramatic. Yes. Um, the conversations and the situations that you were probably tasked with and dealing with when you first entered into the professional career to what your experience and what we're dealing with today, you could probably share some pretty insight into the shift that has happened and DOL and fiduciary rules and all of the things that we're up against now and how do we navigate those waters? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, it hasn't gotten any easier, which is hard when we think about how do we attract, you know, new people to this profession mm-hmm. where the, regu- you know, the regulations c- continue to increase. More is demanded on each of us at the, advi- you know, at every level of the organization. Yeah. Um, the compensation, yeah. right, that's a, you know, can be a big C-letter word for right. depending on, you know, what hat you're wearing. But that has changed significantly. But what we do 
and the value that we serve and how we help really, I mean, how we help clients solve and, and achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. What I mean, it's so meaningful and um, the tools and the solutions that we can really help drive. I, I'm still passionate. I'm a people person. I really want to help and see people live their best lives. And I, you know, didn't come into undergrad thinking I was going to come out in this seat. I started off as pre-med not to go down that. <laughs> you did. I rabbit hole there. But yeah, and I, you know, I want to, I want to help people. I want to make things better. I'm really passionate about health and, um, and I, you know, a lot of what, what, I mean, what we do, right. What we sell and how we help support advisors and ultimately with those clients goals yeah. are, that's a fundamental aspect of yeah, it. Yeah. Well, and, and clearly, you know, I think, so when you shifted, from pre-med, mm-hmm. what did you end up with your degree in? Was it management? I got my bachelor's in science and business administration, and I, I went in economics and a minor in management. Okay. And then I did go back and get my MBA. At some point, I, I told myself, Scott, I, I want to be, um, I want I'm going to be a doctor. Somehow, some way, I'll be, get a PhD at some point in life. And then I feel like when I've got a lot of stories and experience, I can go back maybe on the professor side of the house and, and tell a lot of stories and, and try to educate. Do you still and, feel that a little bit? You would get a PhD? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's my, that journey's not over for me. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, you know, I say as, as a mother, well, as, as a spouse and as a mother of three children, you probably deal with medical situations <laughs> <laughs> over the years. You get a little sprinkling of that, a maybe. little bit, yeah, a little bit. I, so, and I grew up in a family where you know, in a um, a medical family, just with those back, background and profession. And I think you know that's a part of it, but a part of it, I think, just in that nature and that passion I lo- have for for people and really wanting to make a difference and impact on people's lives. And yeah. um, and that's what I really enjoy about what I do today. And um, but I that's anyhow that's where it kind of started. So tell me a little bit more about your role as the president of FID, mm-hmm. right? Was that multiple banks? Yeah, so we worked with about 200 financial institutions. And it's interesting because the number didn't change, but the the revenue and the assets grew significantly. I mean, we, um, you know, had the opportunity to recruit some of the, the largest institutions that the firm had 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 ever recruited in the history. So that division started in 1987. Wow. And I joined in 2005. And prior to then, you know, we, we'd kind of um, you know, scratched, the, I don't say scratched the surface, but we hadn't recruited any any program of significant size. And then we really, um, I, I think, built out a strong team and, and a strong um, infrastructure to support financial institutions and, and with their growth and with their goals and what we deliver as a firm. And so it was it was pretty awesome to be part of that on the front end and really driving uh, driving that success and the number of leadership mm. roles that I wore across my tenure. And those firms were uh, all across the country or yep. was there domiciled and was there a concentration? Uh, there's probably always a little, you know, the mid-Atlantic and I'd say Midwest is where we had the greatest concentration. The West Coast, um, not, not as much, but that's in the last five years where we probably – We've seen uh, the most growth. Um, really? Yep. I mean, we are, uh, I think, some 42 states in the FID division. Now, of course, okay. Raymond James, the firm, is their, across their retail financial advisor footprint is in all 50 states. But we finally got to land a bank in Hawaii. After oh. over eight years, after four trips out there, that finally came to fruition. You know, so. that's an interesting <laughs> one because whenever you hire somebody to work or represent that region – it's almost like a feeling of guilt when you go to visit that account, but you are actually serving your job. You And whenever you say to your coworkers or your associates, oh, I have to go to Hawaii to visit XYZ. Oh, yeah, sure you do. Yeah. Because I had that as an RVP. Yeah. I had that territory. Yeah. And I always got heat when I was actually doing my job to represent that state or that territory. But you had to be very careful about how you went about it. It's an interesting situation. It is, going to and I, you know, and and I don't, um, I don't, I think it's, I, I don't think that's changed much, right? Because right. I, I probably over those four trips, I was there for a day and a half each time. We'd fly in, we do meetings and for a out. day and a half, and then we're on the red eye home. And I, you know, if you've done that red eye or any red eye for eight, you know, eight to twelve hours of traveling. 
there's you know there's not, not a lot of, it's not it's not good even if you no. had one one day of fun out there it's still probably not worth what that does on your body for 100% um, that and then you put on the time change of it but what was funny was just some of the the you know the the kind of Anytime with what we do is so highly relational, right? And you want to know your client and you want to have the respect and come into that with your best foot forward. And so mm-hmm. with, um, you know, Hawaii organizations, right, you know, there's kind of that you, you don't want to come into a meeting in a business suit. That's you, you're a fish out of water and not right. trying to have a relational, personal relationship, understanding who they are um, as an individual and, and as a corporation. And so... Um, you know, the my male counterparts would all come in with their, you know, Hawaiian shirts and yeah. their khaki pants because that is kind of, you what know, you that is the suit alternative. And um, my, myself and a couple of the other women that were traveling as part of that that recruiting team, you know, we, we had the hardest time because there just wasn't this, the same type of woman, um, the, you know, the woman counterpart to right. the Hawaiian shirt, khaki pants. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we figured it out. But, uh, but it, it does, you know, it does – Certainly, the relational aspect of our business, and which has been interesting during this time and this pandemic, and and taking over as president of Producers Choice, because so much of what we've done has been in person, right? It's that point of sale, it's that high touch, it's us having that experience and that trust and that loyalty and getting to know each other, and it's been great to leverage different types of technology and mediums in the last eighteen months, but. Um, I'm sure, like many, I would speak to the fact I, I look forward to our next normal and. And getting and having the opportunities to have those in-person touch points because as much as we've been successful in and really kind of churning course and grab and, and leveraging technology and tools to be effective and efficient and not only just you know keeping our business moving but growing it and supporting advisors um you know i think we're what we what we've lost during that is some of what you know you can't quantify but it's what happens when you bring a culture of and a community of associates together where that creativity is, is stimulated in those in-person and non-planned interactions and that knowledge, learning, and sharing that we get from overhearing each other yeah. and then helping support each other's growth and that drive that you just can't, you can't foster those experiences yeah. in, um, in, our, in our current remote environment, but yeah. we're getting there. You know, it's interesting. I, for me, I always, <clears throat> I'm very, I think, in tune with just in, people as individuals and honoring them as individuals. Um, so I, I hone in, I try to hone in very quickly of, you know, the type of personality that the person I'm engaging with in our customers, my friends, my family, relationships. And one thing I do know in our world of financial insurance services there is no cookie cutter type of person. These are wonderful individuals that have dramatically different backgrounds. And I would think that's no different regardless of what segment of the industry I'm in. So take, for example, if I'm in banks and credit unions, mm-hmm. you know, you probably have a vast cultural difference between personalities and how you manage and lead and and the challenges that are associated to that. And then looking at today and specifically as president of producer's choice and you've got home office personnel in the in the midst of a pandemic and also then looking at the different customers that we serve uh so with that said do you have do you would you say you have a specific leadership style and has that changed from what maybe it was within your previous tenure to how you deal with the situation we're in now gosh good question my leadership style um you know, I uh, I'd say that um, I see. You know, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, from a, from a leadership standpoint, I you know, I've always have to lead by example. I mean, right. I think that's you know, hopefully that's kind of hundred percent for, for most Absolutely. of us. Um, I I think part of what certainly I've evolved in as much as um, in in this kind of post pandemic environment is I I. I'd say, I'd say I'm a, um, a little bit of control competitiveness and being able to, you know, anticipate and plan for, you know, what what's going to happen, how we're going yeah. to accomplish certain things. I've, I've had to augment and adjust. And and I don't know if that's so much to talk about my leadership style. It's just me as a, as a person, and which I think, right, relates to uh, so, running this organization where, you know, I mean, I just um, I, I've had to 
to be flexible and recognize that I, the things that I can't control, right? We we have to just pivot. Yeah, we and, talked a little bit about that. Yeah. Where it's like your your style and comfort is planning, being organized, right? If it so, if, for example, if it's not on the calendar for me, it never happens. Yes. And in this environment, things get on the calendar, and maybe half of them fall off the calendar or get repositioned. Yes. And now your wrench, you got a wrench in the gear. Right. And that's unsettling. Yeah. So how you do need, we deal you with that? You need to have that, you know, that meaning to like, the, you know, to go down the process to get to accomplish this goal. And we just, um, we, yeah, I think and that affects become, a lot of people. It does. So, and, you know, I think some part of, I mean, I have um, felt through this and, and, you know, part of how I've adapted is really on the communication uh, as I because I, I think we can't in this environment un, over communicate you know what's happening and and why because I think it leaves people unsettled right because we can't be in person they can't be passing by to understand okay well what you know because when that's happening um, you know why did that happen yeah. right? does that mean something and we're all people are kind of remote sometimes isolated maybe you know they don't you know have family at home and and they don't understand the impact to some of these small things that that we might think of and just as a normal course of our business. Right. So, um, you know, making sure that as much as I've always been, I feel a, a good communicator and, and value the transparency and making sure that t- our team knows what we're doing, where we're going on a day-to-day basis. But I, I think that the over-communicating to not take for granted some of the small things and how people might be reading into that in a way that's not productive and the negative impacts that can have. I think that's been really important um, during this pandemic. You know, I think Producers' Choice as a firm, we're a very unique firm in the sense of how we're structured. And and in large part, this is kudos and credit to the founders of the company and and the fact that we're we're headquartered and, and, and housed as a hub, you know, and that's the producer's choice home office. And then we have these little wonder, little split, wonderful little splinters, if you will. And mm-hmm. our little team would be one of those. Yes. Where we kind of work as this, I would say a, an entrepreneurial mascot, if you will, and representing the, the space and the industry that we serve financial planners, insurance agents, and, and, and annuities life and LTC. And, but the home office has grown so much over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you now have how many employees that are under the roof? Is it 120 plus? We have 126. Okay. Yeah. I was close. Yeah. My point in that is it cannot be easy in the midst of this to deal with um, just the distractions and the challenges that that the pandemic has brought and staying focused and on on task. And one of the things that I wonder in any company, this is not specific, this is across the board as a country right now, is uh, creating a platform where managers can manage. You know, h- how can they be effective always being remote or hybrid as opposed to whole, full-time? Um, you've got definitely the challenges of just different personalities within the, you know, the environment of a business. And so, you know, what's your take on how we're handling that as a company mm-hmm. and then also as you know and as as a country you know where where do we so we're doing hybrid learning yes and that's a challenge or is it not well um it, I, my, it might be TBD, right? Okay. I, I think it's fair. <laughs> fair We're to writing say, this script as we, we go along. We are writing the script as yeah. we go along, and I think one of the things that that I recognize and that we all have to recognize is um, while we put a lot of thought and a lot of planning into it, we're we're gonna get things wrong, right? And so you know, putting that out there just just to say that to our team is is we're gonna, but you know, which is why it's so important for us to have that open communication and conversation. So. Give us the feedback. Um, what have we not thought about? What might we be getting wrong mm-hmm. in this transition of, you know, this is how we operated business, mm-hmm. you know, post March of 2020 to how we operate business today. And I think what what we what we know is that we can leverage technology. We can provide more, I think, flexibility, and and our employees want that, right? They 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 want and they enjoy 
some of the balance that they have with not having the commute and some of the stress that that might cause them of coming into the office. But what I I, I believe, and I believe it's important, I believe it's the foundation of um, our business and our culture, as well as even our, our parent company owned by Raymond James, is, I mean, it, it, it is community-based, right? It is family-based. You know, when we talk about the PCN family and it's part of even, you know, my tenure at, at the firm, which, you know, translated to PCN is because I, it, it does feel like it, it's this real culture where, um, you know, we, we do, we do know each other. We know about each other's lives. We're here to do something special together in this industry and to make an impact and how we think about it and go about that. I think it's very unique. And there is a little bit of that Kool-Aid that, that you, you drink, but once you become part of the organization, you know, it becomes real. And, the creativity and what we've been able to accomplish and our success has largely been driven off of that in-person interaction that we have when we come together and collaborate as a team. And so um, I think it's important for, I mean, I think it's, it's it, you know, it's not only important. I think we have, we, we have to get back there mm-hmm. and we want to, we are getting back there and we're adapting to that, this in a way that, balances, I think, what the ask and the needs from our employees are, which is, um, again, more of that that flexibility, but also preserving what's important and core and foundational to our business. And I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting because when you look across the industry, right, whether it's technology, which you might say, oh, I would assume most technology firms would 100% be remote, but I think right. it's ample, right? I mean, I don't know if they're either hybrid or they did not elect to be one of the firms that um, that went allowed for 100% remote, and I, which I, I, um, you know, I I don't think is a bad thing. No, I I agree. You know, you start without question. There's pros and cons of being remote. Pros and cons of being in person. How do we? Where's the overlap? Yep. What is, how do we define the new normal? Yep. Because that's a script we all have to kind of figure out as we go along. And is there an optimal formula? I don't know. You know, that, what time will tell. Time will tell. It is TBD. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's also interesting, I too think, depending on <clears throat> different organizations, who they serve, there's a clear difference uh, from a sales perspective uh, being in a sales position, it's a, I think it's much more challenging to be effective remote day in and day out than if I'm a support person um, not prospecting and developing relationships with customers. There's a big difference. I don't disagree with that. And I, I think, you know... Um but I, I also would challenge almost any role, right? Because when you, I think most people we find, not not judging, not seeing there's anything wrong with it, but when they are working from home, or when they're getting up and preparing for their day, mm-hmm. there's something that happens subconsciously when you shower, you dress, yeah. that you're going to be out in public and people are going to see, you know, you are prepared to engage in an interaction yeah. and you're bringing that whole self into work. Now, are we doing that as effectively whatever role we have as an organization when we're doing that remotely? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, there's some level of that human behavior where we get into these comfort zones. And I'm I'm reading a new book. I'm not done yet, but it's called The Comfort Crisis. And, you know, it, and it's kind of, uh, you know, challenges really, I think, our, our current state as is, is humans where we are getting very comfortable with a lot of the luxuries that we have when you go back historically that, that yeah. didn't exist. And right. What is that doing to us, and and how do we how do we challenge ourselves to get out of those comfort zones, and right. what d- different ways that you might try to approach that? Um, because I, you know, salespeople, I mean, part of that culture, right? It it is that competitive drive. It is that, you know, hearing each other also to talk about something in a way that you didn't think about, and right. I mean, how how are we going to translate that learning if that we don't? For not having some in-person interaction, how are we going to translate some of that camaraderie, even some of that accountability? I mean, Scott, have you? I'm sure at your point, some point, you've maybe used um, a coach or a, a trainer or some yeah. somebody that helps you be accountable to some of the goals that you have, and there was a reason for that, right? Absolutely, I think we should all have more of coaches and mentors in our life. Uh, I mean, 
Tom Brady has a coach. You know, Michael Jordan had a coach. Yep. What do I need help in? And sometimes it's just a sounding board of somebody who's of similar skill level, I guess, you know, but having more coaches in our life is definitely not a bad thing. It's, um, it's an interesting place that we find ourselves in and it's, it's a journey that we're going along. And again, this is, I think every business is kind of figuring this thing out as they go along. Yeah. Um, how do we optimize? So when looking at producer's choice, where do we stand with some of the numbers in terms of who we are as a firm and then maybe talking a little about where we want to go? So annuities. Yes. What is it? $1.3 billion. Um, I think right now we're sitting at $1.6 billion in wow. annuity sales. Okay. It's going to be a big year. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's van- it is fantastic. So that's that's a significant year-over-year growth. Yes. Wow. And we then what will... about life in LTC? Life in LTC. Um, also robust, right, in terms of volume numbers. Yes. We um, are, have had some, some re- you know, our life sales, it's been record revenue. Last year, we had the best year ever this year. I think, you know, we're coming into our, our final quarter and we've had some delays, Justin. I think it's been, you know, kind of that um, uh, compounding effect with, you know, delays with carriers and some of their operational issues and the underwriting process. But I think we are expecting to achieve similar results this year and, and having a record year on our life sales and our long-term care um, has been a little bit slower to, to pick up. Um, and, and some of that, I think, is just with some of the – I think it took advisors a little bit longer maybe to adapt in a remote environment having the long-term care conversation. But with that said, that division was was really founded not that long ago, and it went from very little to very – robust growth and numbers. Yeah, this will just be our fourth year. So it's it it's so matured. It it is it is matured and and we are um we will certainly outpace our sales for 2020. Wow. Yeah, which has been great. I mean, it's um when you think back and I I sit back it, it and I think about where we were in in April of 2020 and we had a you know a couple of days when the whole right country were all just in the shock and awe in our lockdowns and our respective states and I think just trying to reset of what I mean in and you know um assess really where with what's happening and across the world I mean I think we had you know some days where if there was one or two or five apps a day and then you you go to some where there's several hundred and it's just it's been um, it's been phenomenal how we've we've really adapted and the team has come together and then the record year that we stand to have this year across all aspects and all of our different sales areas. And um, I think we're just scratching the surface. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I, uh, you know, people that I've talked to ask me, what do I think about for the next five years from us? It, you know, it's where do you want me to start? I mean, which when whether it's you know we're talking about annuities life and long-term care i think the the solutions and and where our opportunities are are significant we are certainly looking at how do we optimize and add value to the movement and the r the you know the kind of flow of the breakaway advisors moving to an ria or advisory type only business Mm -hmm. and where we can really add value through our outside insurance desk how are we helping broker dealers with their critical business issues and being a partner for them mm-hmm. with really helping them dr- drive the growth of those, you know, of their organization and add in the value and solutions that they want to add for the kind of the protective planning solutions that, that really, really, we really support. Um, and whether that's a bank or an independent broker dealer, you know, I, you know, they, we really look to take kind of that customized approach to trying to understand, you know, where, what their needs are, what they're trying to do, and then putting together the right team and marketing plan um, to help get them there. So I, it's, uh, it's exciting. Yeah, there's so many, who would have ever thought insurance would be not so boring? It is right. the, it, it is a fascinating space that we find ourselves in, and it is forever changing the thankfully the evolution of technology is finally getting to where right starting to right and silver lining within within the pandemic i think many many organizations many lines of business found themselves in a position maybe begrudgingly to 
dramatically accelerate technology and innovation where they might have been on a three to five year trajectory and within 18 months had to get there. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, we're, we're insurance is finding itself in that re- regard. They were forced to in some ways, right? Absolutely. And I think maybe hopefully there's some lessons learned of, you know, we can't continue down this, hey, we're going to invest, maybe focus on the product and the front end marketing. We have to be able to support and have good technology and, 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 um, and they've been forced to, and, and I hope to see more of that to come as one of the positive things that have happened mm-hmm. and that we've learned in the last 18 And producer months. choice is no exception to that, right? With our implementation of, you know, Annuity Express as an, as an example and yep. um, some other technologies that are available to, to our customer base at large. Uh, and that's a, that's a direct reflection of where technology is allowing us to place our foot and grab a hold of. Um, creating efficiencies and workflows is a wonderful asset. Yes. In dealing with what are very complicated and can be labor-intensive processes. Yeah. When I think about it, I, I think about, you know, kind of what, you know, my goals are integration, right? How do we help advisors integrate these solutions into mm-hmm. their business? And what are the ways that we can help support that? And maybe that's what different opportunities for education, like long-term care is a great one. Yeah. You know, we, you know, do, I think, a phenomenal job of putting together client events just to inform clients about what, you know, what the options are out there and helping them have those conversations as an example. Absolutely. Simplification. How do we make it easier to do business, right? We know there, we know it's hard and, and part of that is outside of our control. So let's control the controllables, but you know, the regulatory environment, there's lots of disclosures. That's a good thing. It's not bad. Yeah. We just got to move past it, but challenging carriers to bring us the technology that we need, but then also in bringing all technology to the advisors and broker dealers that we support to support the business. And then, you know, from an expansion of how do we expand our services for really the core um, the core opportunities that we can have to support, you know, our kind of three main audiences is broker dealers, financial professionals, and, and registered investment advisors. Yeah, and personnel is a regular challenge right now. Finding personnel, oh. keeping personnel. Yes. You know, using you mentioned the life insurance. It's amazing to me that we had a record-breaking year in life insurance. When I'm more on the front lines, let's say my experience in this in. And even just getting something as simple as medical records, because the doctor's offices don't have staff, that's matriculating to every line of work yep. at every level across this country. And how do we deal with that? When do we get back to some level of personnel that's adequate? It's a problem. It is a problem. Um, and I, my first question is, when does it get resolved? You know, not that anybody has a direct answer, but it's like, good gosh, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge. And I mean, what industry can you think? I mean, it every. I mean, it's everywhere. 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 Um, pick, pick, pick it. Yeah. Um, it's happening. Um, so I imagine that your the the team is is um, you know as a company we've got spots and vacancies that we would like to fill whether that's short term long term yep interns non interns salaried employees what have you uh, are we seeing any light at the end of the tunnel so um yes and no i, okay. I think it, it's um you know what we're we we are seeing we are seeing applicants come in and but and so the good thing i'd say is since particularly let's just take you know some of our sales opportunities mm-hmm. um you know, we are seeing applicants from from some very competitive, you know, peer firms. Okay. So I think the talent that we um, have in front of us is uh, is is higher than we have historically, but we have to be very quick to respond and understand that it, it's a, um, you know, it's not. I don't wouldn't liken it to kind of you know a shark's bath or something, but right. it, it is a it, it's a highly competitive market out there, and we've got to we've got to be quick to respond to those that we believe are really right fit for us as an organization. And I think, you know, also when you know when when we look at those individuals, you know, I think part of it if when when maybe we lose them to another financial financial services firm, and not to say you know. Uh, Pass judgment on any of those organizations, but I I do believe my, in my heart and and you know that we have something very different at at producer's choice and 
and within the parent company from a cultural standpoint. So part of it is when we find that right fit or right culture, you know, they they recognize that as well through those introductory conversations and some of the peer firms that they might be, look, be looking to go to. Well, perhaps could be short term and, and then we'll have the opportunity at a second run for them. So I, I think we are seeing some of the light, but it's not as fast still as we would still like it to be. Um yeah. And, uh, and nothing ever happens. And, and, and you enough. know, and and but we and we have um, we've been slow on a few of them. And I'd say that we went, oh gosh, we we really missed somebody we thought would have been a good fit for that position, just because we didn't, you know, somebody got there first. Yeah, you know, with the with the life insurance side of the business, it's it, um, has anybody in the team identified, you know, what were some of the things that we did right, that drove that? Have we identified why we had so much growth in life insurance? Uh, is it because of the pandemic and fear of just the situation around us? Is Was it education surrounding our advisor network? What were some of the reasons that we experienced that? Yeah, so I, I think that, um, you know, part of our success was we, we were planting a lot of seeds leading up to that and building okay. those relationships with advisors that um, that was part of the success that we saw in uh, in 2020 and, and certainly going through this year. Some part is absolutely that, you know, some things have been brought to us because it's top of mind for clients, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen a lot of different studies and surveys out there where clients are, are thinking about. And we also know that, I mean, most clients are either underinsured or not insured. So there's right. a significant opportunity, but but they are looking at may, doing something because the pandemic has caused them to think and look at that. So that, that is- mortality. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's impacted, um, you know, the, and then of course, and, you know, with the fear of things going away and the changes, and we've seen a lot happen with, from the product side and the carrier side in the last 18 months. And a lot of the guarantees that used to be there, um, you know, are, are, are few and far between. And, yeah, and then on point. the positive side, I think some of the age restrictions, right? Cause we saw a lot of carriers, you know, not offer certain products at, you know, the upper age levels and, and they've uh, and those have started to to cre- they've started to increase to open that up to yeah some which of is our another reason clients. which is another reason I'm fascinated so much robust growth because it was a light switch you know certain ages were just we weren't taking business and any reason to postpone a case was postponed so that's credit to the organization for having such a milestone year in that regard where there was a lot of headwinds yes. at the same time yeah yeah but you know we. Um, on a monthly basis, we had a touch point with advisors in terms of that education and helping to support them. And I think, you know, a, but a big part of it just goes back into well, the things that we were doing leading up to that, that yeah. and, the, and the relation and the trust that we built with the advisors that we did support um, that carried us into and having a, a very significant pipeline. But no doubt that the pandemic has has had an impact po- from both positively and I think in some aspects it, it certainly has either, you know, elongated some of our, our sales cycles for reasons that you also just highlighted just yeah. with getting like, right, you know, the delays with getting doctor's report. I mean, it, it starts in, and then also carriers having some of their operational issues and, and well, they're remote and too. Like that. Yeah. So, you know, things that were taking X number of days are 20, 30, 50% longer. Yeah. And that starts to stack up. What do you think are some of the, the, um, the more, the one, at least what, what is the most positive takeaway from the pandemic for our business? And maybe what are, what is one of the most negative takeaways? So one of the positives I would think is people's acceptance at large to conduct business at its highest level in a virtual space. Mm-hmm. And and that, and there's an absolute opposite side of that. That is a double-edged sword. Yeah. We you know, you've talked about being in Zoom hell and just you know, not using your phone anymore and these kinds of things. Uh so take for example a financial advisor or insurance agent. Forever, it, you know, you conducted business in person, knee to knee, belly to belly. You hear this analogy, kitchen table or mm-hmm. come to my office. Well, dramatically, the you know the pandemic stopped that, and um, for those that were in tune with technology, embraced technology, were already using technology within their practice, transitioned very well, and were off to the races as they went through this. 
it also served as just general acceptance that yes, you and me, customer advisor relationship can exist in a virtual environment. In other words, we don't have to see each other all the time anymore. Right. I can procure client relationships without us having a handshake agreement physically for us to do business together. That I think has been one of the biggest positives of this. And our role as, you know, sales experts, consultants to advisors is not much different than the relationship that they have with their clients. So where our role was usually, we had to be out knocking on doors, being with advisors, meeting with them face-to-face, developing relationships, eyeball to eyeball. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. You can't replace personal and, and human interaction, but it's been more accepting at large of our relationship, our role, our re- role can be established and grow over time, even though we may not work um, locally or in person, if you will. So the net has gotten wider. If I'm an advisor today and I am doing virtual appointments, I am running virtual webinars, I am marketing virtually, digitally in some aspect, well, my community is no longer in my pool of client bases isn't three to five, pick a radius around my right. practice. It could be much wider. How big do I want it to be? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it could be done. So to me, that's one of the things that has been recognized and accepted by both consumer and you know vendor, if you want to call it that. I think by and large, one of the biggest downfalls of this is um, the title of the book that you're reading, kind of conforming to this level of comfort and really not really knowing what is comfortable and falling maybe into too much of a comfortable situation. Mm -hmm. And then how do I find my way back? How do I find balance in my work life? Because it's not just about our professional lives. It's finding balance. You hear about it all the time. People who are now finding themselves working at their home office many more hours a day than we would say is healthy. They're more stressed. They're more stressed. They're not taking time for them for the me time. Right. I think that's probably more than the country recognizes. Maybe they're not keeping up to their health. Maybe they're not eating right because they're just immersing themselves at their home office. You know, there's a difference. You know, there's a saying, you know, dress the part, right? You mentioned earlier. Yep. There's a psychological something that happens if I put at least some professional attire on. I get dressed for the day. Yes. Even if I am getting dressed and walking to my home office, at least I took the time to polish myself up a little bit. Yes. That doesn't mean I put a it's suit It's your and tie mindset, on. right? It's part of that mindset. Psychological, so powerful. Yes. Um, you know, the other downside of this is just human and social isolation is a very real thing in this country. And certainly as we get older, you know, it, in your working years or you have family at home, you're getting enough human interaction, I guess, to probably fill your bucket. But I think through this, there's a real challenge of of too much isolation mm-hmm. and getting back to community, getting back to affection, getting back to touchy, touchy feeling, yes. you know, yes. and not physical contact, but verbal, uh, being it's all that nonverbal, right? I mean, when you talk about how much communication is nonverbal, it used to be, I think it's like 70, 30, right? 30% is what came out of our mouth. 70% is what the, all the nonverbal community and, and you even think about what is that doing to our children? today or, you know, from masks and how they can read into different expressions and those nonverbal cues or not being able to be in person and how that might be impact their learning. Mm -hmm. But I think what will also be interesting, and we won't know probably the impact for another 10 plus years, but when you think about kind of this, the baby boomer, right, population and this whole, you know, generational, multi-generational and what are advisors doing to make sure that they're working across the generation. This is an opportunity for advisors to connect with that multi-generational family in a meaningful way and leveraging some of this technology to be able to capture those assets as they transition through when, you know, the the main um, 
spouse, you know, dies or both spouses die, right? Where I think the stats today are pretty sad in that 80, yeah. 90% are going to leave. And right. most advisors have 55% of their business yeah. are in that retirement age, you know, uh, uh, client base. Right. And so this this could be impactful to a positive. Yeah, yeah. I, so many things, I think, in through this, you can find silver linings. Yeah. Uh, many double-edged pros and cons, you know, with finding a balance, finding, you know, how to manage through certain relationships, certain environments, and, you know, working your way through that is a situation we certainly find ourselves in. And it, it, to say the least, it's very interesting. Um, so I wanted to ask you a question about how financial planners as a whole, because one of the aspects I think of advisors and where they find themselves today is being less transactional. Mm -hmm. So if you go way, you know, to the beginning of being in compliance and born into this professional career, let's just say it's 15 years ago. And I would tend that advisors were more transactional. They were specific to, I deal with investments, stocks, bonds, portfolios, I'm not necessarily a wealth planner or mm -hmm. holistic. I, I'm an expert in this field and my head's down and I work with clients and this is what I do. Whereas I think more and more advisors, maybe they're forced. This is the question I have. Or are they choosing to become more holistic and well-rounded and comprehensive in nature as opposed to just anecdotally saying I am a comprehensive financial planner? Certainly life insurance sales is a direct indicator of the fact that we're seeing more holistic planning. Yeah, so I, you know, and it's a good question or point of are advisors choosing to go down that path? And I think the answer is yes. And I think with the question of are advisors forced, and I think that answer yes. is kind of also yes. Um, and so, you know, where that's, you know, really being born is, um, is, Right. I mean, that transactional, it was, you know, we might have a conversation, I might sell you whatever idea, and then we might not connect for, I don't know, one year, three years, five years, right? We we don't have a relationship. Right. And, um, you know, where, you know, it, the advisors that have had success have really made their business highly relational with their clients. And so then transitioning to how they are compensated for that advice and ongoing planning because, you know, clients want more from us beyond that transactional. But help me relate that to my 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 dream of buying a house, of retiring at the age of 50 or, you know, whatever whatever that is and connecting the dots. But you want to be compensated for that, right? So I think that those are the advisors that that recognize that and are making, you know, that, that shift in that decision mm -hmm. to um, – but also I think part of that component and where – um, you know, you unpack that financial planning community. And a lot of advisors really kind of built that on that investment management of that being the value add that they right. bring to a client of, hey, I can put together this great portfolio of stuff. You know, I can do all the research and build right. this model. And that, you know, return is going to help, help you achieve that, that goal. Um, where it's gone, those that are really doing that holistic planning are, they're doing that investment management, absolutely, but they're talking about, the, they're having the estate planning conversation, they're having the risk management conversation. Okay, so what have we done for protection? What have we done for long-term care? Doing the beneficiary views. They're, they're really looking at all aspects of that client's um, journey and kind of their, their wheel, if you will, mm -hmm. and, and what their goals are and how they're helping support. And they're, they are that... Um, that, that kind of, they're, they're the nucleus. Now they might, they, you know, many of them are bringing in the experts, right? And because they recognize a big part of what their value is, is to be that quarterback to, you know, and, and have a team that supports them where Producers Choice comes in because our products can be complex and some of them are getting more complex as yeah. carriers are having to look at, you know, where interest rates are and what the needs are from clients and how do they solve for that with different types of solutions um, they, that they don't have to, to be the, you know, let us do that on your behalf. Let us be that partner with you in, in that aspect of your business. And 
similarly to like security-based lines of credits and other things that, that you know, having an estate planner or an attorney, right? They are they are working and have kind of a team around them, yeah. um, and that's part of the, you know their value add to clients. Right. Um, and then I think the part that of advisors that have had to kind of get themselves there are those you know with the regulatory you know is has been harder on the commission products because there was this you know, the big C letter word that yep. you're only doing that for the commission. Now, I think right. a lot's happened, you know, back in the day when, um, you know, I did 1035 exchange approvals back very early on in my compliance days that there were, there were a lot of, you know, the bonus products and oh, the master decks and annuities. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you did see it all and you, you did see that, um, you know, I mean, I, I can tell you I've sat in, in litigation settings with, for advisors that, you know, were no longer in the industry and, and part of it because of was the abuse of our product. So I've seen both sides of it. Yeah. I, I believe that they have tremendous value. And, um, and if, then, but, you know, I think a lot of the, the industry's changed and, you know, that, that stuff, yeah. you, they just don't exist anymore, which is a good thing. But I think still sometimes, you know, the worry or the concern is there's still that scarlet letter A, that, that you know, that perception of, however it was 20 years ago that some advisors and planners have of not really re-looking at how these can be really tremendous um, solutions for clients, particularly those that are in that, hey, they want to have that retirement income. Where can they maximize their portfolio so they can keep more of their assets actually in the market at work for them as they're in retirement but have that baseline to come from. And, you know, a, a lot of our solutions are, are really where they can optimize to the highest level for yeah. those income needs. Yeah. I bet when you were in compliance and suitability, you know, you think about when that was and you, you would have had, ex I mean, obviously interest rates were five X higher. Oh yeah. 10, yeah. five yeah. to seven X higher right. with some promotional, I mean, the good old days in the indexing oh, yeah. world of big, Big upfront bonuses. Yes. You know, God bless any sales person of, of any walk of life. And there's just those characters that are always going to push the envelope. And once they succeed in that, they push the envelope a little farther. And they succeed and they push the envelope a little farther. So I am at, do you have any within your tenure of dealing with 1035 exchanges and compliance, any colored example to give? Oh goodness, I'm trying to think. Because you of, probably had many. I mean, there, uh, yeah, uh, there's. Um, I mean, advisors don't like to be told no. They don't like to be so told no. If, I don't like to be told no. <laughs> Nobody so does. I, that's true. <laughs> so, that's true. You know, I, I mean, so it's not no, right? But it's here's here's the alternative solution, right? Because it can't be that your client needs every writer like this. This product can't solve all things and all potential solutions. And then on top of that, we put the bonus on and an L share. And then it, we have to do what, you know, we have to at least make X to be able to support the actual, you know, cost of the product. Yeah. It just, um, you know, you did certainly, you know, see where, uh, but I, I mean, in some ways I, you can't involve Fault, you know, I'd like to tell my kids, we, you know, if you if you don't ask, you'll never know. And sometimes right. the answer can be yes, right? right. But yeah. um, there there are those. But times that's the dangerous part. There is a they dangerous get told part. yes, and then they just push a little bit more. Yeah. Well, know? what if I can do, you know, X, you know, <sighs> and and you you just have to. Um, I mean, you, you unpack really of uh, really when you put put it from the client perspective, I and mean, we all we all know what I mean from that sea of gray, really mm -hmm. what's in the client's best interest. But I can't, nothing jumps to mind other, you know, than you, you would add You were just a steward at your- Some of these overall costs of these products and, and you just look at, and then a surrender charge, you throw that on top of it. And I'm like, oh, what, I mean, is this- And they were adamant. This is, is this to really the best interest of yes, the Yes, because if this happens and if the, you know, we can forecast, you know, X, Y, Z return, they could be better off. I said, yeah, they could be. But I, I mean, I couldn't- I, I can't sign defend, off on this. I could not defend that. Yeah. <laughs> if I was under today, oath, yes. that's the question. Sometimes I say, look, if you're under oath right now, Mr. Advisor, and I ask you these few questions, how are you going to answer these? Yeah. In most cases, they in, they can't. Yes. you know. But it's also, I mean, in our business, even beginning with the products we sell, but also how to navigate the environment Education is key. It begins with knowledge yep. and knowing the ins and outs. And a lot of it to their defense, they don't 
they don't understand the regulator's perspective. They don't. Right? Yep. Sa- sales and, and regulators are on two, it's Mars and Venus, you know, it's two planets. Mm-hmm. And we don't see eye to eye. <laughs> you know, they, they don't, and they don't necessarily have to. That's why we have to come to a middle ground and find the happy medium. Yes. And there's where regulation does have a place. And certainly uh, we have to comply. Doesn't mean we can't ask. It doesn't mean we can't ask. Yeah. Yes. So we got a few more minutes left. Okay. I always like to get this okay. uh, question. How do you manage your time? You have a family. You have your person. You meet, everybody needs me time. We are president of an organization. Where do we find the time to get it all done? Or can we? Do we? How do we find balance? Yeah. So um, that's a good one. And I, uh, I've... Um, I, it's something that I've had to work on over the years because I would say there probably were times in my professional career where I, I wasn't taking as good of care of myself and I and as well as um and it was so it was less all me work. team less, me, me time there was, was there was no me time right I mean and, and so I but I'm a morning person so I will wake up that's kind of my personal time that I like to kind of carve out for myself to wake up in the early hours. I do a little reflection. I think um, I don't. Is it an hour or two? I mean, what in a perfect world? This is perfect world time right now. Perfect world. I've got an hour to an hour and a half. Okay. I will try to do a little bit, even if it's just a few minutes of like meditation or breath work. That's something I've added in the last year. It's been really, it's been really good from a mindset standpoint. Um, And then I, I do enjoy fitness and health. So I've got a let do something to let off steam or I don't know if my family will and, and or the team will welcome me back. I got to get something out of my system. Is right? that I, cardio based, weight based, both? Yeah. So it's both. It's probably been more weight based and less cardio as okay. much as I do love running. And that's a and great that home? release for me. I will do that at home or I prefer to go outside if it permits. It's conducive. Um, but I know that it's not as good for me, right? When you read a lot, and I like to listen to podcasts. You know, one of my favorite is Ben Greenfield. He's kind of a health biohacker, but he a health biohacker. Yep. Ben Greenfield. Ben Greenfield Fitness. So it's just him speaking, or does he have guests? He regularly has guests in. He does. Yeah. Wow. I would recommend him to. Um, I've had him actually come speak at conferences that we've done as a firm. It's very interesting. Really? But yeah, and it's, it's it covers all different types of... So what is biohacker? So or what does it mean to be a biohacker? That's what I would say. Yeah. So yeah. it's, um you know, somebody, right, who's, you know, try, trying to hack your biology to live a longer life, right? What are the things that you could be doing to, and, and best practices, it could be through other, even like it could be through devices, it could be through the way you eat, it could be through sleep, it could be by, you know, having a certain diet and lifestyle that helps you have different hacks or kind of shortcuts. So if you want to live a longer, healthy and more meaningful life. So I think he's gotten a little bit more into the meaningful aspect of it. But, you know, one thing that is consistent, whether it's him, I read the book Driven recently and they talk about, right, that, that meditation and breath work and really trying to clear one's mind and how important that is for somebody that has a driven type of mentality, which I related to in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will try to do that during kind of some of my, my me time in the morning. I, so, and then the rest of my day is, uh, it, you know, in terms of how I try to balance, I take each day as it comes. The one thing I've mm-hmm. learned um, over, I'd say I've done a better job and embraced is to give myself a little bit of grace where, you know, 10, 15 years ago, if you asked me if I forgot the one time that my child was supposed to have bring in a white shirt today because they were doing something for some, mm-hmm. you know, experiment or something at school and where we forgot muffins. And, you know, I, I, I just, you know, it's those, all those little things. And I've just told myself, like, I, I am going to, um, I'm not perfect as much as I, I, I think that I, we can all accomplish great things. Are. None of us are. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it's okay to forgive myself because I'm going to make a mistake. And, and so I, as, as well as I can plan and put notes and do a lot of things to help mitigate any of that from happening. So I think that's just helped me with some of my time management, some of the craziness or squirreliness I can get caught up of. I, I really embraced Outlook. 
I think you mentioned earlier, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't doesn't happen. And so, you know, it's inviting my my husband, my family, right? It's meeting requests for everything, whether it's appointments, it's, you know, things are happening, kids, personal, we're going somewhere, I'm going somewhere, everything. Do you keep one calendar or do you have multiple calendars? I have one calendar. You do? Yes. And and things are- For everything. Just for everything. It's probably very colorful. It does have some colors in it. Um, you know, I think it's um, it's important to, you know, I, I will also try to do some things to help, you know, I get a massage every once in a while. To, um, it's a good stress relief for me yeah. and, and just to try to balance it all, you know, right? I mean, know that it's important to take time away from family and to kind of shut things off. Dinners are really important to me when I'm home. And, you know, I most of the time if there's a work and emergency, it can wait for those precious, you know, few hour, right? My kids yeah. are getting a little bit older, so they don't love the mom and dad time as much as, as much as they like to. So I, yeah, yeah, that's some true. ways I have a little bit more time, a little but, more leadway. you know, those, it's those moments where, um, you try to kind of shut things, shut things off from, you know, some of those outside distractions where you're, you're really being more intentional yeah. with your time versus, you know, the, you know, you've got your phone here. I mean, there's, there's no phones allowed at the Kosherik house household dinner table. There and I that. will not get up to answer my phone. You won't? No. Okay. So is it just dinner time or is there like a set time period that you try to adhere to? Again, it's this, because we're, I'm asking because we're going through this right now where yeah. it's, 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 it's too easy to come up with, I need, it's an excuse and there shouldn't be an excuse. The world can be put on hold for Two out, yeah. whatever the time, yeah. whatever the family defines the yeah. time is. I so don't... it is, it is kind of like that preceding dinner time, and usually for about roughly like I would say it's about two hours a night where I I would kind of refer to as my family time. I won't pick up and look at my email. Um, I you know I'll wait to pick that back up, mm-hmm. and I think that that's worked, right? Yeah. I mean, um, if if something's kind of blowing up or going off multiple times. <laughs> Then I maybe, might, I might perhaps yeah, go, oh, yeah. you know, I, um, maybe I should take a quick peek. Is there at this. something just to take a look at? Yeah. Is there some kind of an emergency that exists? Cause usually when it is, you'll have someone kind of repeatedly try to, <laughs> right. to ping you a little bit. But I think, you know, there, there is no balance for a day or for a week. You know, you just kind of, ha- it has to evolve. And I, but I do think it's important. And I, how I've tried to make sure I've got that morning time and what my needs are for my husband. We have one date night a week. We've had that for years. You have. It's changed in terms of um, the day of the week, the day of the week, or the time. Sometimes it was we could get away for breakfast for like an hour and a half on a Saturday morning and just get caught up. And you know, now I mean, or it could be in the you know, not as great when it's at home. Um, right. But now that our kids are older and since we've moved to Michigan, we don't have to worry about their their own babysitters. Um, right, right, right. At this point, we can leave them at home for a few hours without them tearing down the house, so to speak. But yeah. It's, you know, those things are important. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how just chapters in life and you're now in, let's call them the teenage years of your kids where five years ago, that was dramatically different. Yeah. So you have certainly leniencies that you didn't have as a parent and, and navigating through that, those chapters and journey of life. It's uh, parenting is the most magnificent, challenging, rewarding uh, journey I've been on and just yeah. managing all those aspects of life. It, it's, um, it's it for, it's a learning process for us all. Yeah. You know, it's not easy. No, it's yeah. not, you know, I, um, I, but I think, right. I think sometimes too, even, but it's important, I would say to anybody out there, you know, even and when they're in their earlier years, you still have to prioritize the time for yourself. You have to prioritize the time for your spouse or your partner. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you can, and, but how that looks and evolves can be different, right? But you, you do need to take away that. And um, how do you relieve stress? You, everybody needs to know how they best relieve stress yes. and make sure that they take that, that time to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever that is. Yep. With that, we'll end. Take time for yourself to relieve your stress and manage life as best as you humanly possibly can. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Until next time. All right.